Hey there. This is week four of What Next, an honest conversation with the Book of Acts. Tonight, Ben and I talk about chapters 8 through 14. Or we set out to talk about chapters 8 through 14. We don't make it the whole way. There's, again, just too much to talk about. But we're glad you're with us. And we hope you'll stick with us as we enter into the second half of this book. So let's just jump into it. Here we go. Good to roll, man. Awesome. Cool. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome back uh, to night four of uh, What Next? We're glad that you're here. This is like the midway point. It's kind of hard to think that we're already zooming right through uh, Acts. Um, we've got half of a book left uh, to get through over the next few weeks, but we're in the midweek. And uh, for me, this is one of the, the sections of the book that, um, that, speak, that has so much packed into it that we could have probably spent a night or two nights or a month on each chapter, um, most chapters uh, in this section, but unfortunately we're going to have to skim right through them. But before we do that, uh, I'm going to open us up with a quick word of prayer. <clears throat> Holy and living God, for the ways in which you move among us, we give you thanks. We're grateful that you can connect our hearts and minds and bring us closer to one another and to you um, in ways that we didn't do before through technology. We're grateful for every person that is listening, and we pray that in our listening and in our conversing, that we might grow closer to you, that we might become more obedient to you, and that we might learn to see the world around us as you would have us see it. We pray all these things in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So, um, Adam, there's a ton in here. Uh, I mean, this is like, this is one of those things where we probably should have thought this one through um, a little bit more than, than, uh, than five chapters in one night, six chapters in, um, in one night, because it is packed full of, of so many good things. There's, um, you know, uh, Philip going into Samaria, there's the magician, there's Saul uh, becoming Paul, or, you know, they really saw the conversion of Saul. There's, the eunuch, um, there is Cornelius, which is just like its own sermon series. Um, there's so many different things. And I think that one of the things too, that's really important to note is that is particularly with the story of Cornelius, this is where for the first time, like we enter into the story. Um, and that's something that we often forget is that we think, um, as Christians that we are just, um, always a part of this story like that like this that that the that the that scripture up until this point has always been about us um and not until cornelius comes on the scene do does do we as the listeners and we as the readers of scripture a majority of us being gentile um kind of the the, the outsiders in a way um not until this point do we actually enter into the story so it's actually a pretty critical night um for us um but man i'm gonna start uh, with you, I would love to just hear, um, your initial impressions to like, what is, I mean, what's your strategy? We can talk, we can talk about, we can go into just one particular thing that you want to talk about. Or do you kind of want to give a brief overview of the whole section and what you think this whole section's about? I'll let you yeah. Know. If, if we're going to chunk it, I've kind of enjoyed taking, like thinking about it, like, okay, what is this kind of arc? Yeah. The story about, 
Yeah. Um, so what I is think that? Yeah. This arc is, is our chance to see God's unrelenting desire for the human creature and creation mm. um, transgress every boundary that we would imagine to be reasonable. Yeah. Um, and it's a dangerous transgression. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Absolutely. And unanticipated, right? Like there's. This, there aren't psalms and prophets to fall back on for right. the kinds of transgressions that will take place. Yeah, to the point where you are, you are. Uh, there are moments in here where it's not no longer just a disobedience to uh, the laws of the land, which is true. It's yeah. almost, it's a disobedience to what you believed God was saying before. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, yes. Which just shatters. Which, oh, well, no, I wouldn't say shatter, but oh, breaks open um, yes. God in a new way, right? Um, and, and the work of God in a new way. It doesn't necessarily shatter the past, but it breaks open God, um, I think, in a new way. Yeah. It disabuses us of the fantasy of a God who spoke in the past and is silent in the present. Yeah, totally. I love that. I love it. Uh, this is where we see God speaking. And this is where we see God speaking, not just in like this part of the text, but this is where we realize, oh, God's still speaking like yes. now, in this moment. Yes. And we're kind of invited into that story. It's the, um, you know, Jennings, uh, I was reading Jennings just a little while ago, and I love the language that he uses where, um, where uh, I don't know if you've ever been to like a Broadway show before where listeners and the audience is like all of a sudden becomes a part of the story in a way. Yes. And there's certain type of plays that in style and, and plays and productions that lend themselves to it. But all of a sudden where you realize in an example of this, very off the top of the head is Phantom of the Opera, where they kind of play some things around. And as theater goers, as people watching Phantom of the Opera, you're actually kind of a part of the story because the story is about a theater and about an opera. And you feel like you're, you know, anyways, you're invited right. to participate. And that's where we are, too. Yeah. Uh, this. I would say that, like, in as much as we talked about chapter two's significance for the history of the church, yeah, I think that right now, these chapters, chapter, I mean, and I would include all of them, chapters 8 yeah. to 14, kind of have uh, as much to say to the church today, mm -hmm. right now, you know, that we need to really study and unpack the gestures of God's movement in the world here. Yeah, I I was thinking about this in relationship a little bit. I think that's cri a critical point. I mean, this you said, like, this is how we how we see God at work in the world. Like this is, this points to us. And if you look at, um, if we kind of look at the arc of Acts and try to piece this into the arc of the entire story, it's almost as if the first chapter was kind of this moment that you realized the world is changing, is about to change yeah. in a radical way. Um, even, um, I would say, no, I'm not going to go as far as to say that, but I was, you know, there is a, a radical change is taking place. In the second night, we realized that that radical change with Pentecost changes how God functions in the world. Like, like the, the nature of how God functions in the world. The spirit is going to be this new thing that guides you. In this third night, we almost looked at like how the, this new reality changes how we look at ourselves as like people of faith almost and kind of the in, insiders because it was a lot of um, Peter preaching to the people among them. And now this is yeah. how we change the way that we look at outsiders, right? Or mm -hmm. what the people that we formerly thought of as outsiders and we realized yeah. that maybe the whole time 
we were the outsiders. It's just kind of. Oh, there we go. Um, there we go, Ben. Yeah. Yes. So it's an interesting flipping of this that takes place here. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, it's a really huge thing to try to chew uh, <laughs> in, in now uh, 52 minutes. So yeah, I say, let's just like, let's charge through narratively. Yeah. Right. It, the story is unfolding. Absolutely. Um, through this, you know, yeah. through these chapters in a specific way, I think. Yeah. Cool. So, so let's even just start it. Can I just start at eight one, though technically it's not in our, our thing at the yep. scattering. Yep. Saul's yep. persecution of the church and the scattering. Mm -hmm. So I have my first big question to lob at you tonight. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> many people have read this as divine providence, meaning that Saul was a pawn that God was using to spread the church to the ends of the earth through mm -hmm. persecution. Um, and that divine providence for people who may not know is the theological term we use to kind of name the phrase like God is in control, which I think is a dangerous way of, of kind of phrasing that um, theological claim. But yeah. yeah, so I'm curious about your read of the movement of God in history especially through times of suffering and trial and persecution. Mm -hmm. Is that a big enough question for you? Do you need me to? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I don't think, give me something bigger. Give me something <laughs> That's a softball, Adam. Thanks. Uh, no, I think that's interesting to think about God's movement in history in the course of time. I think that we, um, I mean, of course, you can look at the language of like God's ways are God's ways and our ways are our ways, and we we can't we can't like kind of imagine that. But I do think that we always have to think of God as we think of time linear, linearly, and we think of um, that. And I just don't. I think that the, all of that's off the table. Like I and I okay. I think in the world of God, um, the idea of God being involved in the world, we think that God created in the past, right? And that we are now living in creation. Creation, We are living in creating. We are living in the present moment of creating. And I think, therefore, God's movement in the world is still in this process of, cre of creating um, mm -hmm. um, among us and in us. Um, you know, to say that Saul is a pawn in this... Um, or an instrument for divine providence is the way I've heard it. Yeah, instrument for divine providence. Um, I think it's God, uh, you know, I like the language, the improvisation language is the language that I love with this. Um, God's work um, and our work in response to God is being improv. As all of it being, like every time, every day that we live is always a new thing. It's always improv based on experience that we've had in the past and trying to adapt to a brand new reality every day. And so all of life is improv. It's the idea of yes and. It's the idea of you push the story forward. Um, you don't try to negate the past, you try to build onto it. So the yes and, and I think you, you see that a lot through where the disciples are led uh, or where yeah. the apostles are led and their response to it. Um, it even kind of can explain why, a question that we're gonna talk about later that I kind of wanna bring up is like, does God change God's mind um, yeah. about things? Right. Uh, uh, 
I'm not sure if that's the case or not. We can talk about it in a second, but I think this fits into this, this idea of yes, it's God saying yes and to God's self, right? The mm-hmm. idea of like the, the story is expanding. Our, our understanding yeah. of creation is expanding. Um, and to know, to know that God is in all places, both in the present, in the future, in the past, in all things is just hard for us to wrap our minds around. Um, so that's okay. Pop out of the question, but, uh, and I recognize that, but I'm wondering your thoughts on it to throw it back. Yeah. I'm very nervous of the assigning of divine pro the, uh, the framing of an instrument of divine providence, which has become a theological term that's been mapped onto a number of atrocious historical, you know, um, things. And we should always, I think, read this, these three sentences as an atrocious period in the history of the church, right? Like this is an attempt at a kind of religious cleansing. Like Mm -hmm. that's Paul is on a mission. Saul is on a mission to cleanse his faith um, of people that are muddying it. Yeah. We see Um, it happen later in the history of humanity. Right. Uh, Right. Right. Yeah. So I, one of the reasons that I like to like ask this question here is I think it's an important kind of site for us to work out. Like, well, if we're not going to say God, Saul is an instrument for divine providence, what do we mean by God is working in history, right? Like, and I think that we need to ask questions about like, where is God working in history? Yeah. Um, and not just assuming that the way history unfolds it is, is directly mapped onto the divine will, right? Right. Um, and I think that where we see God working in, in this history here is the fact that the people of faith remain faithful and devout men bury Stephen, you know, and find a place to mourn even in the presence of unrelenting violence and, and danger mm-hmm. that there God still sustain, sustains a people of faith, mm-hmm. even in the midst of impossible circumstances. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I felt this very strongly when I was working in my nonprofit world, when I was yeah. invited into these intimate, intimate spaces into people's families and homes, uh, particularly when new forms of crises would crop up all the time among these families, uh, you know, a number of whom were undocumented. And then when DAPA was, re- re- uh, revoked, um, their lives were, made precarious in a whole new way right um and as a person of faith the first thing is like how how is god working here like what is happening Mm -hmm. but getting to witness those small intimate moments of god sustaining a life um bringing families together to make sure that kids got to be dropped off at school safely that everybody um, had access to food and shelter Mm. um, to see the community care come together like that is the movement of God in the midst of this, right? Yeah. Um, in those moments, I'm not, I, yeah, I don't think that God like causes them, right? Or God in the, in the crises and like the, the idea of divine providence in the sense of like God is um, puppet, uh, puppet mastering things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and kind of causing things to happen. Right. Uh, that's, a, that's a dangerous road to go down, like you said, because it can justify tremendous atro- atrocities. It can also minimize the suffering of an individual. Yes. Right? 
it is a it is a theodicy. It is a dangerous theodicy, being the language of like why do bad things? You know, kind of like if God is so good and God is all powerful, then why do bad things happen in the world? That's the right. big thing with theodicy. Right. Um, and it is dangerous for us to go down that road of saying that God controls all these things because it totally minimizes the pain and the suffering of the individual. And I think right. that is the last thing that God does, right? Um, right. God, God uh, enters into that pain and suffering of the individual because yes. God has experienced that through Christ. And there's a, so there's a, it, it goes, it's kind of, um, what's her name? Oh goodness, over at Duke, but Kate Bowler and her book, Everything yeah. Happens for a Reason and Other Lives I've Loved. Um, to think to think like that is to think into these things that we think um, give us peace and give us like a blanket to hold on to in times of crisis. And I don't know if that's the right, that might be a, a quick fix to a bigger question, but the, mm -hmm. the answer of God's abiding presence in those moments of pain and suffering is a, is a harder thing to wrap our head around, but a much, but when you do, uh, is so much more comforting than, then God's got a plan for that. You know, there's, a, there's something, right. you know, uh, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Great. Okay. Thanks yeah. for letting me. Yeah, good question. That's great. Um, we could do uh, again. I have like six more for oh, you. God. I'm just okay. joking. <laughs> All right. Uh, so going on to the next one. Um, I I like so I like this idea of. Um, you know, we, we've heard all through the Gospels, we hear all about these Samaritans, the Samaritans, 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 right? They're like not good people. They're not great people. Like they're, they're the outsiders and the outcasts. And I love the fact that the first people that really the apostles turn to outside of the Jews is the Samaritans. Um, it's almost their most immediate. It's the neighbor across the street that drives you crazy. It's the other side of town that you're trying like skeptical of and you kind of want to stay away from. It's your most immediate neighbor that like, if Christ says for you to love your neighbor, that's the one that you're hoping he's not talking about. Um, right. If you know them, uh, and you know, they're down the street and, and that's where Philip first goes. But I also think it's fascinating that immediately after Philip goes there, we then find Philip encountering the eunuch, um, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Uh, and the juxtaposition of these two, to me, um, captures uh, the breadth of where, um, of, it's, it's God, it's God essentially, to me, it's a God's essentially saying, oh, I don't mean just like, I don't mean just like your neighbor down the street that you, um, just dislike or you don't get along with and have kind of tribal confrontations with. I'm not talking about that guy. I'm also talking about the guy or the persons or the people that you just don't even can't, like there's no connection between you two. Like there's no similarities. That is the complete opposite outsider. And I think that that might be the scope that the, that Luke in writing this is trying to capture is like the idea of it's not just your immediate neighbor that you know, it's the neighbor that you don't know that you have no idea about. And you can't possibly imagine that God is for them too. Um, and whose body very like body poses a threat to the way that you organize the world. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the eunuch. I think that that's a good, um, a good, that's a great, uh, I mean, a great moment in, in Christian history, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great time. Like it's, it, to me, it's, it's one of those stories that's easy to, to just, kind of glide right over but if you dig down into it, it Oof, is, it's pretty so rich yeah it's it's pretty rich 
So you basically have um, Philip, who's, you know, called by God to go out onto this road, into this like wasteland, into this, I think that this road, right, is the road between, yeah, Jerusalem and Gaza. It's like nothing, right? It, there's not much yeah. going on. It's like a dirt path. Dirt path. I mean, what's up with roads? I'm going to ask you that question. That's coming your way in just a second, is like why Ooh. are roads so important? Um, but like they're, they're traveling this road and he's told to go to this essential like royalty um, kind of caravan that's going on. And he jumps in the cart with uh, this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch. And this eunuch is, um, Jennings paints this beautiful imagery of, of Philip uh, chasing, like literally sprinting after this chair, like this chariot or this caravan to jump to, because he's trying to reach, that's where God's leading him to go, go to this eunuch that is in this cart and jump in the cart. He hears him speaking um, the text that he's so familiar with. Uh, and it just shows you the link to which God chases down yeah. people that are so different from us. Yeah. Um, calls us to chase down people that are so different from us. And this Ethiopian eunuch is so different on so many ways. I mean, not only is Ethiopia kind of like the extent of the universe right now for them, for, for you know, the people in the Middle East. I mean, Ethiopia is kind of way far. I mean, this isn't just the Samaritans. This is like way far out. Uh, they are from likely a very different skin tone, likely a very different way of living. Uh, the fact that they are a eunuch means there is this uh, very different like physicality to this person that um, that is probably. Can we be very explicit about what a eunuch is for people who may not know? Yeah, good. Yeah. A eunuch is somebody who's undergone a ceremonial um, uh, castration often or, or uh, yeah, a ceremonial um, uh, alteration to their genitalia. Yeah. Um, Largely so that they can become like a slave, essentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, largely for the sake of like their, um, to completely take away their, uh, their kind of personal desires instead to kind of punt it into the world of, of them being slave to a, a master so they can kind of be unbound yeah. in that way. Yeah. Um, and so there's this sense in which God says, even that person is, um, is, is the person that you need to be chasing down and you need to be pursuing. That's the, that's the people that God loves is that person. This is no longer a Jewish religion. This is no longer an insider's thing. I mean, Christ even showed that, Hey, these insiders, these Pharisees, they're dangerous folks. They're not the people you, the insiders that think they're insiders are dangerous folks, the people on the margins. Now God pushes it even further. Um, who the, who the margins are. Uh, I do want to point out the eunuch is reading Hebrew scripture, right? Yeah. Right. And coming from Jerusalem. Yeah. So we have some reason to suspect that the eunuch is wrapped up in the life and faith of Israel in some way. Mm. I would suggest. Yeah. That it, like, yeah. it's not quite the reach of Cornelius yet, I would say. But that. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's my, that there are some obvious differences that are as wide as Cornelius, you know, between yeah. Philip but that there is already a kind of shared, even if it's just an interest on the behalf of the eunuch or a curiosity on behalf of the eunuch. These, um, he still has, somehow has the text on his, right. in, in his possession, which we're not and really that, sure It's not that. circulating like it is now, right? Like it wasn't common to come across a scroll of Isaiah. Right. You know what I mean? 
but even for him to be reading this, you have to think as a slave to have access to this book. Right. Um, shows you that um, this is uh, like a, it is likely not intended for him to be having it. There's a potential thing that he, he's not supposed to be having this text, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I just love the fact, so I love this image of they go in, they start talking, they're, they're blown away. The, the, the conversation between, between uh, Philip and the eunuch is just uh, eye-opening and revealing. And there's an intimacy there. Um, yeah. Between, um, someone who knows God and someone who's trying to know God, who's outside of it, or maybe who's not even trying to know God. Maybe they are, we're not really sure, but they're clearly reading the text, trying to understand God. And there's an intimacy there to the point of they baptize him immediately. And then I love the idea of the, the like, it's my favorite line probably from this um, section. The, the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Yes. Um, and there's this beautiful idea of like, if, this is evangelism kind of at its best. It is um, going into creating relationship, um, creating relationship where there's interest, um, creating almost mutuality there. It doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like in this conversation, there's a sense of, um, of have and have not. Uh, there's a sense of mutuality by kind of getting into it, entering into conversation with one another. And there's a respect of that person and no desire to change them, right? To change their, um, to, let's not to change them in the sense of like, yes, when you, when you take on the body of Christ and you become a follower of Jesus, you are taking on this new reality and this new way of living the world. But there's no sense of changing his culture. There's no desire to like force him into a box or bring him into this like uh, perfect image, uh, image of what a disciple should be. Um, yeah. You know, disciples are all over the map in this section of the right. where like they are now. I mean, I kind of always pictured the 12 looking all the same. They no longer look the same at all. Like no. radically different. And I just, it's, it's just amazing to see this unlocking of freedom and joy in the eunuch found in Christ. Um, yes. Just kind of a pretty awesome image. It's one of my favorites from this. From yeah. This, uh, it's also just really funny. Like imagining yeah. Philip walking on a road and the spirit's like, Oh, go chase that one. Go chase yeah. that carriage. Yeah. yeah. And Philip's like, Oh, that one. And the spirit's like, yeah, go, 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 go. And him running alongside. Yeah. And he actually asked the question, do you understand what you're reading before the eunuch invites him into the carriage? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and it's just really great. I really like that image of Philip. <laughs> like look, peering over the, Oh, do you understand? Hey, do you understand what you're reading there? Yeah. yeah. So great. <laughs> Yeah, it's, there's some pretty funny um, images of these guys in the next few. Uh, yeah. Characters. So, but what? And, and another thing to that, just really quick, is that yeah. I really like this image of this is this is the fundamental role of the disciple is chasing down the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Like chase. This is the spirit drawing people together who wouldn't otherwise be together, mm -hmm. and Philip chasing it. You know, like chasing it down as hard as he can. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's this, it, it, so Kelly just made a really interesting point. Um, and I kind of want to address this because I think it's fascinating that all of a sudden Philip disappears immediately afterwards. And there's yeah. a couple things with this, I think um, there's, um, there's some of it just kind of in researching it. Cause it was a question that I had earlier that Jennings kind of answers, but this isn't a, um, a history of people of prophets and almost people like um, divine kind of, 
revealers of God's word and that type of thing in, in the Jewish tradition in the text from Old Testament. There's people who just, after their job was done of like bringing God's word to people, they kind of disappear. But I think Elijah and Enoch. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, but I also think that there's this awesome, you can kind of make this argument that like, there is no, um, there is no time for Philip then to teach the eunuch how to be a Christian, how to be a Christ follower, how to like live as a, a disciple, what that means, what that looks like. There's no like instructional catechism about like, uh, there's no confirmation class. There's this sense of like, the spirit is going to guide you to uh, this. You have the spirit, go do it. I'm out. And then that radical freedom. Right. Yeah. It's this liberation It's kind of this, the liberating nature of the spirit too. So, which is pretty, pretty um, exciting. So thanks for pointing that out, Kelly. Cause that was a, uh, I'm really glad you said that. Um, it also just shows the urgency of the spirit. Like yeah. the spirits all over the map yeah. through this whole section. And that kind of like velocity is. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the reverberation of the text there. Yeah. Cool. Ooh, man. That's a good one. That was great. I love that. I love, love that it. section. Cool. Um, I think the next one is a big one too. Um, there, yeah. there's a question here that, uh, I want to see it for, um, Ron had a question that was about, uh, Peter and John, um, getting involved in, um, during the Holy Spirit with Philip and baptizing people of Samaria. Can I, can yeah. I take a shot at that? Please do. So one of the things about Peter and John moving into these spaces or other disciples moving their actual physical bodies into these spaces instead of just writing letters or something like that is a testament to God's embrace of human flesh and bodies. Just as in Jesus, we see the joining of, mm. of God and the creature, mm. right? And to deny the movement of God through human bodies into and through the world would be to deny the realities of the incarnation in a really important way. And the gestures that we often make about God goes before us or God is all over the world already, mm -hmm. who are we to define where God is? I agree with those gestures. However, like linking them to the actual presence and the actual joining of bodies from one people and another as the movement of the spirit through the world is an important thing for us to remember that we've often forgotten in the Christian tradition. Yeah, that's good. I think that's so that's good. how I would answer. Yeah, I think that's great. Awesome. So let's talk about Saul. Yeah, Saul. Awesome. So give me um, give me your your two cents on essentially chapter the at least the beginning of chapter nine, um, and take it as far as you want to go. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. Um, just real quick, one of those things about me. This is one of the first sermons that I preached was on Saul on the road to Damascus. And I love this uh, so much, this section. Um, but a few things for us to remember is that Saul is acting with um, like a radical and faithful zeal and desire to protect his, his faith community mm -hmm. from what is an always present threat in the life of Israel up to this point, especially in times of occupation and exile, right? The mixing and joining um, or impurity of, of life with God. Um, mm -hmm. So we need to remember this, that Saul has every reason to believe that Saul is acting 
faithfully um, and is um, affirmed by the authorities of his faith, right? Like they basically give him a warrant to go out and do the, do the work, right? Yeah. Um, so that's an important thing to remember. And then the, when Saul finally has his confrontation with Jesus, his crisis with Jesus, um, there's a really important, there's a lot that can be unpacked in, in this conversation that they have. Um, but there's a really important thing, question that Jesus asks, which is, why are you hurting me? Um, and tonight in particular, I think that's an important thing for us to pay attention to. I am drawn to this question for a number of reasons. One, Jesus saying, why are you hurting me? Wraps in the suffering of the community of faith into the body of Jesus, right? Their suffering and persecution is his serve, is Jesus's suffering and persecution. Mm -hmm. So that when every time afterwards, a group of people suffers and ask their, ask the, um, the people who cause that suffering, why are you hurting me? Mm -hmm. Jesus's words are echoing in those words mm. does this make sense what i'm saying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when we hear a group of people ask why are you hurting me we hear jesus asking why are you hurting me mm. um and there's only one answer to that question right and that answer is not an answer it's just to stop right um and that's basically saul has no defense right right and then one of my favorite things is that Saul uh, goes blind and ma is made vulnerable. It's a pretty morbid favorite thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons is because Saul has such a firmly developed view of how the world functions and the proper ordering of the world, right? He is acting in this, on his initial journey out onto Damascus, the road to Damascus. He is going to protect his vision of order in the world. He sees disorder cropping up that's threatening the safety of a people. It's been firmly developed through his life and education um, yeah. and been granted authority. And what Jesus offers is not an immediate reordering or just like adjusting of Saul's firm vision, mm -hmm. but instead is a total... Uh, blindness and vulnerability and disorientation. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah. And this is something that I don't think that we think well of. We don't think of this well when we're talking about being brought into the life of faith. Mm. So often, an amazing, like songs like Amazing Grace are a testament to sometimes these kinds of easy conversion experiences, like easy, you know. Uh, as a euphemism or something, but uh, about like, I was blind, but now I see right. um, where everything is clear now, yeah. where in actuality, what we see here, especially throughout this whole section of Acts is that like the life of faith is not a clear road set right. in front of you. It is not an easy map. Pivot, right. You don't just like, like on, <laughs> right. a dive, on a dive and just go in a new direction. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a radical vulnerability. Yeah. And a radical reliance on the guidance of the spirit and the work of Jesus Christ in the world yeah. today, you know? Yeah. yeah you know, the, um, 
It's interesting that you mentioned this. Like I, the language of disorientation. If you look at the Psalms, this is a little bit tangential. But if you look at the Psalms, Brueggemann, um, the you know the Old Testament scholar. For those of you who haven't read Walter Brueggemann, phenomenal. I mean, just go YouTube him and and listen to him preach and speak. And he's just so crystal clear about Old Testament stuff. But his Psalm, his work with the Psalms is amazing. Oh, and he so categorizes. Good all of the Psalms essentially into one of three things. You are either in a state of orientation and you're giving God praise um, for all things good. I mean, it's, you know, it's the praise of God, which the Psalms has plenty of those. Um, you are in a state of disorientation, which is essentially help. Um, God help me. Like, like what, what is going on? Um, and and then you are in a state of reorientation, um, which is thank you. So there's this like, praise and then the valley and then back up and it's the life of faith in general and you, i don't really think i thought about that until you just said like there's an essential state of disorientation um, that's just real with saul that we sometimes yeah. um skim right over because we want people to be encouraged you want people to be encouraged that you will be reoriented at some point uh, but we don't really emphasize the fact of disorientation and the necessity of disorientation to maybe question some of our values to, and I hate to use this because this might get back into the pawn, like Saul's a pawn of God, but there's a humbling nature of that season of disorientation that, that Saul has to become dependent on Ananias, right? Yes. Human relationship that has to be established there. And it goes back to the point that you just said about human connection of yes. a human being, God's working in them has to come and make yes. physical contact with Saul in order for there to be um, uh, at least an upward trajectory, or for lack of a better, whatever, right. um, to, to a state of reorientation. So it's interesting that you you just bring that back up because I think that's a, I didn't really think about that till just now with the the Saul and the disorientation. And I think that right now we're I, honestly we're in a state of disorientation if there ever was one. Um, yes, I mean I don't think anybody right now is like. Oh, I've got all of this together. I think I really like because of the pandemic. I'm really seeing what um, what God's all about in this. You know, we're all kind right. of in this state of wondering, and it's a state of blindness, and yeah. it's a state of faith, um, and a state of you ain't got nothing else other than God at this point, right? That's right. Um, so yes, that kind of radical vulnerability, I think, is something that we built our whole lives to deny. Yeah. You know, and even before Ananias comes, Paul has to be led by the hand. Mm -hmm. And I love that it specifies. Yeah. So, and then Ananias coming. Um, Talk to me about Ananias. Yeah. What I love about Ananias is he doesn't want to go. Yeah. You know, just like we're already starting to see this. The Holy Spirit is is driving the apostles to people that they don't want to go to. Yeah. um, Over and over and over again. Because Ananias knows the history of Saul and knows that Saul is a bad man who has done terrible, yeah. unspeakable things to the body of Christ. Yeah. And but but so th- so things I'm gonna keep I'm gonna cut you off two seconds, um, but I'm on. gonna jump back in. Uh, the ev- everything escalates in terms of the threat for the disciples or for the yes. apostles here, right? Samaritans easy peasy like in the moment seems difficult easy peasy looking backwards they've known these people forever the eunuch mm, don't really know what this is about and yet there's this beautiful connection there and now they are their physical well-being and their their body is is at risk in the presence of Saul 
Like it is that person to them is the antithesis of all that is safe, of all yes. that is secure, of all that's faithful, um, yes. of all that is like orderly. And, and that is those, that's the human being to which Ananias is sent. Yes. And so for every reason, Ananias says no. Right. right. Makes sense. Yeah. But, and, but here we've just seen in Philip radical faithfulness, right? Philip going exactly where the Holy Spirit and responding immediately and with urgency to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Here with Ananias, we see that again. We see another apostle acting in radical obedience to the yielding to the work of the Spirit in the world. Yeah. And in doing, we see this in fulfillment when he addresses Paul, Saul as brother Saul. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Where is that? Let's, um, let me see it. It's in there. Um, oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's like 16 or verse yeah. 17. 17. Nine, seventeen. right. Yeah. He laid his hands on Saul and said, brother Saul. Yeah. Oh, that's and good. this, yeah. And what we're seeing here is Ananias, who has full knowledge of the history of Saul and Saul's history with his people, Ananias' people, right? Believe in God's desire for Saul, for Saul, more than Ananias believes in his knowledge of his history mm. and his history with Saul. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense what I'm saying here? Absolutely. Yeah. He's, yeah. Um, he's letting God's vision for Saul trump his own understanding of who Saul is. That's right. Like, and Ananias doesn't get a vision for himself. No, no, it doesn't matter. It's not about you, Ananias. Um, like that, and that's kind of the nature of the apostle um, is like, it is, it is not about you um, at all times, right? It is not about you and your desires. It is about how God views you, uh, not yeah. how you view yourself. Um, that's right yeah so i love all of that and then jumping right out of that we see saul become the ultimate betrayer for his people Mm. and be placed in exactly the place of precarity and danger that um that he was putting the people of christ in yeah immediately enters into the suffering of those people yeah um and I think that there, there's something that we need to be attentive to there also. Mm. That when we enter into the work of God in the world, we run the great risk of being a betrayer of our people. Yeah. It becomes, a, the, 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 this is going back to the question I asked you last week, is that cost, what's the true cost of following Jesus? Mm-hmm. The sense of, um, uh, a new community, right? Like it's, I wouldn't say like it's the loss of community, but it's the loss of the one you knew in some ways, you know, uh, or that you thought you knew uh, and entering into this new community of the people that you're called to. um, It's fascinating. Um, Because I think that sometimes we forget that like um, as a church, somehow uh, we were brought together by God in a way. I recognize that like geography is like a huge part of that, but there is something that there, but but that's how God works is through geography. I don't think there's clearly God's working in geography here. Right. Um, Yes. But there's this sense of like God brings people together. um, And that's, that's the, that's the community that God has shaped and created. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And there's a lot more that I could say about all of us, you know, like, Saul has to go and give an account of himself to the people who knew him and who shaped him and formed him 
and they're the ones who named him betrayer, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's a lot for us to unpack there, but we should move on because we really need to hit Cornelius before we hang this up. Yeah, Cornelius is kind of a big deal. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a big one. Um, I do want to ask you real quick. Well, we'll come back to it. My question about roads. I mean, like, you know, I love roads. They're important things. They're important metaphors. They're important places. Um, they're wilderness in a lot of ways. Um, and the, the quote that I love that Jennings brought out this past week was the idea of, of uh, what was it? Um, imprecise direction. Uh, imprecise directions and close obedience. And that yes. idea of like, um, when we go out onto the open roads and we go out into places that are unknown, there is a little bit of like imprecise, like not really sure where this is taking me. Um, yes. But that traveling, uh, but that idea of close obedience, that's the place that you need to be. And I think that roads for us are this thing of, of that's where we, you better be ready to be surprised. Um, mm -hmm. Like that's the place of transformation and of shock and of seeing God in new ways. So that when you go back into the city, not only is it you going back home, but it's going, you're not going back home. You're right. going back to a new, a, a city that no longer looks the same yes. as it once did before. And I think that's true for everyone who travels on roads um, in scripture. Yes. Anyways, yep. I can answer my own question for you because I had an answer. <laughs> no, I liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah, that the spirit, um, that like in a lot of ways, God is the spirit of the road. Yeah. That like, uh, that liminal space between the familiar and the unknown, that yeah. radically changes both. Yeah. Is where the spirit loves to show up and screw everything up for us. Yep, totally ruin like what you thought you knew. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's kind of the, again, I think that's kind of where we are right now is this road that is, yep. feels like it is a um, place where we need to be ex expect, expect things to not look differently um, or our understanding of God to look differently um, on the other side of this, right? Yeah. So when, we, when we return to normal or we return home. Yeah. So we need to be attentive and have open ears and like wide eyes, right? Yeah. Look for that carriage yeah. with the eunuch in it. So, um, so Cornelius, right? So uh, fascinating story. Um, you know, uh, Peter essentially has a vision. Um, for those of you that have read it, I, I, think, I suspect a lot of you have read it. If you haven't read it, it's a pretty critical piece. I've actually preached on this before. This is, uh, this is not an unfamiliar passage um, for First on Chatham. Um, but essentially, Peter has a vision uh, that Peter is supposed to, this, this, this bed sheet essentially comes down. We're not really sure what it is, comes down and there's food there. And it is all food that is considered, um, you know, inedible and off limits to, um, people of faith and the Jewish people. At the same time as God speaking to this centurion named Cornelius, um, God brings them together. Peter initially rejects the food when God says, because God brings down the food and it says, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, no way, dude. God, you said before that this is off limits. I'm, I'm, I'm an obedient person. I'm not going to do it. Eventually convinces Peter to do so. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Adam? Like, why is this story critical to um, us? Why is this story critical to God? Um, or critical, what, what does it say about God? Yeah, I think that we, um, because of our place in history, we can imagine that sheet is just like a site of consumption where we see the, all of these things to be consumed, right? Um, but in reality, in context, reading the scripture, that sheet being lowered is like you and I being lowered. Mm. 
that this is God's command to go kill and eat these foods that the Gentiles eat is not a call just to like go find a pig and have some bacon. Mm -hmm. It's a call to sit down and participate in the intimate and vulnerable spaces of people you don't belong to and who have often been viewed as a threat to your way of life. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, yeah, I'll say it. It's unprecedented. Yeah. There's no way for Peter to logic or reason his way into this call of God in this moment. Right. I mean, even Jesus, even Jesus, right? Like we see, we see Gentiles coming up to Jesus every once in a while. And even Jesus says like, no, I'm for it. I'm here for Israel. Yeah. Um, so anyway. It's just fascinating to think about that. And, um, and to think about, just what this unlocks. I mean, what the, again, what this shatters, I mean, like, and well, again, shattering language, let's say breaking open, cracking open. Right. Um, because I think that this is the improv piece too. This is the yes. And this is the Peter questioning the law that's been spoken before and trying to live into the spirit that's moving now. Uh, yeah. and it's a question for the way that, that Bart has, that Jennings has the question that the comment that like living between the God, like the word that's been spoken and the word that speaks now. Um, yeah. and it's a difficult, it's a, between a rock and a hard place, right. And trying to, yes. um, and it's the, it's the place that we're called to go. It's the place that, uh, Peter's called to go and Peter has to then defend it. And everybody's kind of shocked, um, and, and kind of blown away, uh, and, but but he convinces people when he when he has to go explain himself of why he did this because he goes and he eventually meets with Cornelius and they share and break bread together and everything and they eat together and he has to go explain it and everyone that's hearing this back in Jerusalem says well then clearly now this is this is a game changer for the way that we do faith we are yes. not the owners owners of this faith we are. Um, sharers in this faith and in this work of the Holy Spirit. And for us to believe that we have ownership over it, over the spirit, uh, no more ownership, my friend, it is opening wide um, to all people. So a new song is being sung. Yep, absolutely. So it's one of my, it's a great passage of scripture. Um, It's a, it's a fascinating story and it raises the question, does God change God's mind? Um, Before we get to that real quick, can I just talk about how we as Gentiles should be reading this also? Yeah, please. That we need to recognize that um, we are guests in a, at like a a dinner party that a lot of the guests didn't want us there. Mm. It's like um, Jennings actually used to say, have you ever been invited into like your beloved's home to have your first family dinner there? And there are, you know, the stories of the family, you've heard stories of the family, but you're sitting in that um, very vulnerable space of being at their dinner table, but they're not sure if they want you there or not. Right. right? (laughs) And what we see here Cornelius performing is he makes an inside joke that he's overheard, right? That like, um, yeah, that like Jesus is Lord of all creation. Mm-hmm. But this is, you know, he's overheard something and now he's repeating it back to the intimate family. Mm-hmm. And it places that, places Cornelius and all of us as Gentiles into a vulnerable space. And we can often think that we own the faith 
Mm -hmm. and, um, but we need to recognize that we are like the very precarious guests of the faith that have been brought in by an act of sheer love. And that is the only defense that Peter can give is like, no, I've seen God loves and desires these mm -hmm. people too. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's really important for us to remember. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a, um, yeah, again, I think that we, we, this is, this is our first time in the story. Yeah. And this is it. Like we've, we've assumed the entire time up to this point that we were the apostles, that we were the ones that were Peter and them. And like, right. no, this is the type of thing where thank God the spirit moved in the way that it did. No joke. That craved to us. Right. Yeah. Cornelius is the door we've all walked through. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, as we both have, oh, that's a good one. Um, great. So my, I mean, my question, I guess, I, I think we've kind of answered it. Like the, does God change God's mind? And it's kind of opening up the yes and the continuing forward. I'm wondering what your thoughts are though. I mean, I've kind of answered it myself, but I'm wondering if you think any different. Um, I'm unsure about how to answer that question. Honestly, honestly, what I think answer actually, you just need to answer it honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I think is that um, we, as a people of faith, worship a God who speaks, mm -hmm. and that God's desire remains unchanged, mm -hmm. and God's desire to embrace all of creation and the human creature intimately and radically. Um, has not changed. Mm -hmm. I do think that we have to confront that what God is saying here is in contradiction to what God has said. Mm. Like, I think that we would be doing a disservice to say like, oh no, I've heard it often preached or taught that like, this is God correcting uh, human misunderstanding. Mm. Um, of God's law to the people of Israel. And I don't think that that's true. I think that this is God singing a new song hmm. and bringing us to the frontiers of a new unanticipated future, but that God's desire and God's presence through every movement of that has remained consistent and mm -hmm. does not change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it's a good, I fully agree with you on the, the God's, um, God's desires uh, has remained the exact same. I mean, the, the idea people look at the try to say that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different gods, right? Like the question of that and yeah. like just the wrathful versus the loving. Um, and I don't think that those are in uh, contradiction with one another, um, to, be, to be perfectly frank. Um, yeah. I, uh, I think that God's intent for God's people has always been the same. Um, I think God goes about new ways of doing things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And the, the shattering open of stuff. Yeah. I don't know, you know, I, um, I should have prepared for my own question a little bit deeper than, uh, than I actually did. I, I think that it's to say that God contradicts God's self. Um, I, I mean, th this is the best example of it. I mean, like this is one of the better examples of it is the, is the Cornelius story of the law um, but I, but I think that the law and the spirit 
um, the, the spirit breaks down walls around the wall that, yeah. um, you know, that, that have been surrounding it for so long. Um, yeah. And for me to say that it's a contradiction of the law, I don't know. I, I mean, I, yeah. I get it. I'm not trying to suggest that it's an erasure of the law or its role yeah. in the people of Israel or anything like that. I'm not well, trying to suggest that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the, that's the, that's the thing that I would wrestle with. Um, now yeah. I think there are all sorts of biblical stories that like contradict, like we've said before, the, uh, Bibles like the New York public library, you can use it to defend all types of things and you can find a lot of different things that are said in there, um, and spin them in your own different way. But like when it comes to, um, what God has spoken and what God is speaking, um, the direction is always the same. They're always moving towards it. The ways of going about doing it may be changing. Yeah. And that direction, I think, is kind of our steadfast hope that like peoples are being brought together in intimate spaces in new and radical ways and love is being shared in the spirit. Mm. And like, this is how, because I can see people being like, well, if God still speaks, why do we read scripture? Like, why do we, I've heard that kind of question, yeah. right? But we, I think we have to, as a people of faith, um, like actually believe that God speaks in clear ways that we can understand together and affirm in one another through our testimony with each mm -hmm. other, right? Like, and that's yeah. what we see happen in chapter 11. Yeah. It's, is Peter sharing his testimony and saying, I'm pretty sure this was God moving. Yeah. Here's why. And the people of faith affirm him. Yeah. And this is, this is the this is the work of the church in all moments yeah is i think i'm seeing god do this and the church coming together and saying okay yeah like let's yeah. let's figure out the new world then yeah. it's also seeing the eunuch i mean the eunuch like i think that there's yes. a line in there like, i was just looking for it about just the um of like them having like reading together and the nature of them reading together and the spirit working in them um i can't remember the exact passage um yeah anyways interesting to think about interesting questions to ponder so yeah there's so much more we could have talked about but yeah. cool let's um see if there are any questions um on here more so comments than anything else uh yeah there's and, one in the chat yeah that there's an interesting comment about um there are differences in laws like the ten commandments versus the laws of daily habits that make up a, a lot of jewish customs yeah i think so i mean like yeah I think that there are um, daily practices and, and a lot of people um, leaned into those so much. I mean, like, and that's the, that's true for us today too, right? Is, is, um, is we've shaped some things into these moral, this may be, I'm not going to go down, even down that road. Cause this, I'm going to, we're going to be here for another 45 minutes explaining this, yeah. but like the moral customs and measures that we've shaped out of Christianity and we've shaped with that, which I think that the Holy spirit, um, can lead us to kind of break down um, our uh, are true, very true and real things that 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 um, Jews and in, in ancient Israel um, cling to. That's what the Pharisees cling to was the law up uh, to the point of stubbornness, right? Uh, to this point of not even being able to hear God anymore um, because you cling to the customs and the norms. Um, and, and we're 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 guilty of that too. So, what what uh, other questions do you see? There's one in the chat. So is oh. the Cornelius story the first time that Gentiles are invited to follow Jesus? Um, we see we see Jesus affirm the faith of particular Gentiles in the Gospels. Yeah. However, they aren't brought fully into the life of faith. 
yeah. that the disciples share. Um, up until this point, the movement of um, Christ followers and the disciples was very much understood within the life of Israel and within the Jewish faith. Yeah. And um, there are some exceptions. However, this is where we see uh, the real doorway be built for Gentiles to come in fully into the life of faith. Yeah, the line, the big line um, in chapter 11 is, um, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. God yeah. has given them essentially the Holy Spirit. Uh, um, and and the, the, you know, when we talk about baptism, um, when we use the language of baptism, all, whenever we talk about baptism, a baptism is a receiving of the Holy Spirit as well. I mean, acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit that works in us and kind of a reception of it. And so that's the nature of this is that it's, it's bringing into the body of Christ, the Gentiles in a way that has not been done um, in the past. Yeah. Great. That's a good question. Man. Awesome. Uh, yep. Cool. Everybody who's watching there, there are three more chapters that are rich that yeah. if you haven't read, you should read them and yeah. we'll do our best to like tie some of it in. Um, just real quick. There's this really funny moment where Peter, the Holy spirit breaks Peter out of prison. Uh, Peter runs to a house, a safe house and stands outside the door and they're so excited and surprised to see him that they forget to let him in. Um, and that's yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, Adam, you want to close us out? We're a little bit over. We're over by a minute, but love you right yeah. to uh, close us out for the night. Um, yep. Dear God, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the courage to follow. And us to follow your spirit as we chase you down on the road. Amen. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. We'll see you uh, next week, next Tuesday night. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to be a part of this conversation as we continue forward. You can join us live on Tuesday nights, or you can just send us an email or a series of emails over the week. If you have any thoughts or questions about what we'll be reading that week or what we read the week before, we're grateful to have wide conversation partners in this. In the meantime, we'll see you next week.